Welcome to the Newson Health Menopause Podcast. I'm Dr. Louise Newson, a GP and menopause specialist, and I run the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. So today I've got Nicola Mulkeen, who's a local pelvic floor physiotherapist who we're really fortunate works with us in my menopause and wellbeing clinic in Stratford-upon-Avon, as well as working locally in the NHS. So hi, Nicola. Hi there, Louise. So pelvic floor physiotherapist, I'm not sure many people will know what that is. So before we get started, can you just explain what that means? Yeah, so a pelvic floor physiotherapist is someone that deals with any sort of symptoms, problems related usually to the pelvic area. So it could be related to urinary incontinence, um, symptoms of pelvic organ prolapse, which we can talk about a little bit more, Mm. any difficulties uh, following childbirth, for example, tears or traumatic deliveries. So it's it's all about really addressing the the pelvic floor muscles, which Mm. are the muscles that sit in the basin of the pelvis. And those muscles are there to help keep women continent from a bladder and a bowel point of view and they're also there to enhance sexual responses as well so yeah a lot of people don't really um, appreciate that that we've even got a pelvic floor so yeah so because pelvic floor sounds a bit weird doesn't it it doesn't sound (laughs) like it should be in a part of our anatomy and it's not just one muscle is it? Is no, it I mean um, it, it's a group of muscles. We have a superficial layer of pelvic floor. Mm. We also have um, deep muscles, and actually the expanse is is much wider than I think a lot of people understand. So when I first speak to patients, I I always kind of ask them if they know what the pelvic floor yeah. muscles are, and very few have a, a very good grasp of that. So I would get a pelvic model out, and I would demonstrate. Mm exactly where the pelvic floor muscles run from so the the front of the pelvis the pubic bone and they run all the way around um, and attach on the coccyx at the sort of the very um, end of the spine and it's a very broad large area of muscles so when you start to look at the anatomy and you explain that to patients and and just how that can be impacted I think that can be quite a light bulb moment it's a huge area isn't it I mean I think a lot of people think it's just maybe a little bit of muscle around the urethra so when we wee it gets affected or even around the vagina for childbirth but it's more than that and it's oh definitely yeah and even when we talk about bowel problems so when I um, speak to patients about the fact that the pelvic floor has an influence on bladder and bowel control that can sometimes come as a surprise Mm. for people so I think and because of where the anatomy is, it's it's an area that people don't often like to ask a lot of questions yeah. about, or they feel embarrassed to ask questions about it, or, you know, they've had a lack of education. So I know in schools, the curriculum is, is really quite limited. I know that's improving, but topics like the menopause aren't um, not talked about. And yeah. I know that, you know, local MPs are, have sort of balloted to try and get that on the curriculum and I know that will be happening so that's fantastic so if we can impart that kind of knowledge to youngsters and teenagers um, just to get facts from fiction so a lot of patients I speak to 
have this idea of what's right and wrong and oh well I've had babies it's okay to leak because yes and that's just not right no and I think I mean you're right we'll talk about it in more detail but you now see you know if you go and buy sanitary products they've got range and range of tenor ladies and all these other products which obviously are good people don't want to be wetting their pants and dribbling down their legs but actually we want to take a step back and stop it even happening and and I think you're right a lot of people think it's normal uh, because it's so common and because we don't talk about it but we are only really going to focus on women but men have pelvic floor don't they and I think a lot of Men don't realise that. They always think it's a female problem. Yeah, and, I, you know, I do see a number of male patients as well. And, yeah, like you say, often when you mention to, to them the pelvic floor, they, they kind of say, oh, that's the women's issue. Yes. That's not something I need to be yeah. worried about. And so, actually, it can be quite rewarding talking to men about mm. these kind of problems because, you know, for men, it, it can be even more challenging yeah. sometimes yeah. to come forward with those kind of symptoms or concerns. So, yeah, it's as important for women as it is for men. So, yeah, I think we just got to we've got to talk about. Yeah. It. So clearly, obviously, all I do is live and breathe and talk about the menopause. But even going back earlier, so I've got my two oldest children as teenagers and one of them, sometimes if she's laughing too hard or she's she's on the trampoline, she's, oh, God, I've got to go to the toilet. And she yeah. runs and I keep saying, oh, gosh, you've got to start doing your pelvic floor exercises. And she is a bit in tune, but she still loads of my friends are like that, mummy. Yeah. So, and I think when I, I mean, when I've done Pilates training, which is slightly aside, but one of the instructors worked with ballet dancers and elite gymnasts mm-hmm. and he sort of spoke about how they normalised leaking in part of, uh, you know, their ballet training and their sort of their advanced gymnastic training. Well, you know, of course I leak when I do rebound work. And it's like, well, no, you shouldn't. It's not normal, is it? But um, again, I think there's a lack of education around teaching or, yeah, they don't know how to do a pelvic floor contraction correctly or in some cases they do it incorrectly, which, which can makes actually it even worse, exactly. isn't it? So talk us through. I know it's very hard because we're... <laughs> Um, talking through microphones but um, firstly do you think all women and probably men should do pelvic floor exercises regularly without a doubt and whenever I see patients for the first time I sort of emphasize the importance of these exercises not just being for the duration of the time that they're going to see me but this is exercises for life and that can be a little bit daunting but a little bit like brushing your teeth or you know cleaning your hair etc it just needs to become part of an everyday and should um, we be starting as a teenager I think we should yeah Yeah. definitely you know as young as girls and boys can sort of understand and appreciate where those muscles are where the muscles are and what they do I think it would be valuable for us or for people with knowledge to go into sort of gymnastic classes or um, other sports arenas and as well as talking about stretching and um, you know strengthening I I think we need to address the pelvic floor in in this group of Mm. you know because teenagers and young people like to exceed at at athletics and different vocations so I think if they want to exceed they need to be looking after not just their leg and arm muscles they need to look after their pelvic floor as well um so yeah so talk us through then briefly what do you do then if you want to do a pelvic floor exercise (laughs) yeah so we tend to not advise ladies or men to do them sitting on the toilet because historically we were sort of advised that if you tried to stop your urine mid-flow that was your pelvic floor contracting which it is but we now know that actually to interrupt the bladder flow during a a void a wee is not advisable so I would sort of say well that's kind of how How it it would feel Um, but I would get someone to sit comfortably both of their feet on the floor and first of all I'd just 
get them to connect with their breathing. So because actually a lot of the time people don't breathe properly, which might sound bizarre but if you can't breathe properly then that can also be a problem with the pelvic floor muscles engaging correctly so I might say to my patient just take another couple of nice deep breaths into your tummy and then I shall say to them as you take a a breath out I'm going to get you to imagine that you're trying to stop some wind around your back passage and then you're going to imagine that you're pulling from the back round the front as though you're trying to stop that way so you're squeezing and you're lifting as you go almost like you're kind of drawing a zip from um, your anus, from the back passage, round the front towards your urethra. Um, And it it can take a little bit of getting used to. And I always say, don't be too sort of alarmed if you can't get it straight away. Some people can't really feel a lot that's going on down there. And certainly from a physio point of view, we can sort of help if the sensation isn't great or if it feels tricky to do the activation. We can talk about strategies in terms of whether we use a stimulator to try and get them to connect with their pelvic floor muscles or there's lots of different biofeedback devices, which again, we can use visual and auditory feedback to encourage the lady or the, or the gent to do their pelvic floor contraction correctly. As a physio, generally, I would do an internal examination with my patients to sort of deter whether they are doing that contraction correctly. And again, I know that could be a little bit frightening for somebody, but you know what? If you've been struggling with symptoms for years and years... It's desperate for help. Yeah, I think for the sake of a, a couple of minutes to just mm-hmm. assess whether those muscles are working properly, and actually most people are really grateful to have that input and to get that feedback from somebody because it could be the first time in all their life that they've actually known whether they're doing something correctly. So often if ladies have babies, they're given leaflets to say, do your pelvic floor exercises, but no one one really knows how to do those. So it's just about giving them the knowledge. How many times should should we be doing that? Yeah, I tend to suggest to most of my patients that we should be looking to do our exercises three to four times a day. In the literature, there's lots of different sort of recipes, if you like. I tend to say to my patients, we want to build up to be able to hold for the count of 10 seconds and then to be able to do that 10 times and we also work on what we call some fast snatches mm-hmm. um, which is where we do a quick rapid squeeze and then we release fully um, and the reason we do that is because the pelvic floor has two different types of muscles so we have slow twitch muscle fibers and we have fast twitch muscle fibers so the muscle types work in slightly different way so for example if you have stress incontinence which is incontinence when we exercise when we laugh etc then we need to have muscle that can react quickly Um, so that's why I I would get the ladies to practice the quick ones and then the slow holding contraction is designed for sort of endurance and stamina because we need to have a baseline of tone throughout the day to support um, because the pelvic floor essentially is there to support all our internal organs so Mm. if there's weakness there then obviously that will cause potential problems yeah so that's really interesting isn't it because you talk about incontinence and I I don't ask it anymore but I used to ask when I was a junior doctor have you had any problems with incontinence firstly always people think that's bowel so Mm. they think have I pooed myself no I'm fine yeah and then you say no with your urine and they say no but when I say do you have a a leak when you cough or sneeze or do you have to rush to the toilet oh yeah all the time yeah they don't think that's 
incontinence because a lot of people think that's if you really wee yourself completely yeah whereas actually even a little dribble is still a type of incontinence I think any any leak no matter what's provoking is not acceptable and as lovely as it is to have more advertising around bladder and bowel problems Mm. a large percentage of the sort of advertising is done through tenor and pads and um, protection and it makes it almost acceptable then yeah and I'm you know, I think we need to move away from that culture of just accepting and padding up to actually, well, know there can be solutions out there. And yes. certainly before we consider sort of major surgical intervention, I think, you know, all women should probably go down a conservative route first. Yes. So that would, would mean seeing a, a, a physiotherapist who can assess their pelvic floor, yeah. you know, work on the pelvic floor for a, a minimum of six months, just to, like you would any sort of gym regime, just yes. to try and see if through doing conservative treatment initially whether that's going to be successful it alone. Often is successful, exactly. And you know, having big surgery particularly in your pelvic region, it, you know, it's quite distressing mm. it, and there's no guarantees necessarily. No, yeah. You can have surgery for pelvic organ prolapse, but there's always a risk of recurrence or for different areas to sort of come down. So I, I yeah, if you were going to have knee surgery, you would do exercises to strengthen your knee prior to that operation. Yeah. So it just makes sense to me that you... you Absolutely. You and I think if, if people then did have surgery, but they've got good pelvic floor, they're going to recover better, aren't they? They're going to recover surgery. better, exactly. And they're going to get better long-term results from, from yeah. the surgery in the first place. So I think, so if a woman listening to this, or has got a friend who's listening to this, is struggling with, I've got friends who say, oh no, I can't run. And I'm so oh, is it your knees? No, no, because I'll just mm. leak. If you've got friends like that, then they should seek help from their GP, but they should really be asked to be referred to a pelvic floor physiotherapist. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, time and time again, when I assess ladies for the first time, I hear, or when I ask them how long they had symptoms for, it's often not just a few months, it's often years. And, you know, it's taken them a long while to pluck up the courage to go and get a referral. Or they say to me, oh, I just thought, you know, if I ignored it, it might go away. Or I just Mm. thought, presumed in time it might get better but when certain situations like the menopause hit then certain things can become exacerbated so they might put up with things on a certain even keel and then they hit the perimenopausal years and then things start to worsen in in lots of different ways and that might be when they start to sort of seek some some help and a lot of people don't see that so um as I'm sure you know people that listening that the perimenopause is that time before periods stop. So often people find their periods change in nature or frequency and they get menopausal symptoms. So they can get flushes, sweats, but also symptoms such as reduced mood, low motivation, muscle joint and joint pains, resting headaches. But they can also get urinary symptoms and vaginal dryness. And this is because we have estrogen receptors all over our bodies, but we have them in our pelvic floor, don't mm, we? Definitely. And in our vagina and mm-hmm. in parts of our bladder as well. Mm-hmm. And so I routinely, when people come and see me with menopausal symptoms or perimenopausal symptoms, I'll always ask about their bladder. And they all look and say, well, why are you asking me that? Yeah. And they don't realise that it's related. They think it's an age thing as opposed to a hormone problem. Yeah. So, And I will always try and educate women um, you know, in the perimenopausal years, so ladies, you know, in their early 40s, that even from our 30s, our estrogen Mm. levels are are depleting. And so in actual fact, if we can implement strategies 
to support our estrogen through sort of natural resources, be that nutrition, be it through exercise. If we can do the best to support our system, our adrenal function when we're in our 30s, then when we do hit the menopause in our 40s and 50s, we're going to be in a better position. But sometimes people can be a little bit surprised that, you know, I'm only in my early 40s and we're starting to talk about the menopause. But I think but it's know, so important and and as you know one in a hundred women under the age of 40 have an early menopause yeah. so we don't know when it's going to hit us and no. I always think it's a bit like before women be- get pregnant it's great when they're really fit really well before they actually conceive mm-hmm. and it's no different with the perimenopause and menopause yeah so we've talked about treatment as in doing the exercises but also if women's perimenopausal or menopausal often giving the hormones back can make a big difference Mm -hmm. and as you know estrogen is really important and if they're getting systemic symptoms we'll often consider HRT and even testosterone which is a male hormone but we produce it as well we have receptors for testosterone don't we Mm -hmm. in our pelvic floor and bladders So, so a lot of people find the combination can make a difference but for those women who can't take HRT or don't want HRT, we can still give local oestrogen, can't mm-hmm. we, which can make quite a difference. Yeah, definitely. And um, in part of the examination process, when I'm assessing the pelvic floor, I'll also be looking at the health of the vaginal um, and the vulval tissue. And, you know, it's not unusual um, to find that there is some degree of vaginal atrophy, which would indicate that the oestrogen levels are depleting yeah. and that actually local oestrogen may be of benefit. And, you know, we're talking about a little tablet, a little pessary that they can insert yeah. at, at night time. So it's relatively straightforward mm. procedure. I usually say to my patients that this is something that we're going to need to do over a certain period of time to, to try and sort of replenish um, yes. the, the lost oestrogen. But, you know, as well as local oestrogen, we can think of local moisturisers yeah. and lubricants as well so if ladies are really sort of not sure about estrogen for whatever reason then um, we can always look at some other sort of natural products that can be useful so there's loads available on the market and there are but there's some really horrible ones as well aren't there yeah so you just need to be very careful that the products you're going to use are organic that the ingredients are natural and certainly within clinic here we've we've got samples so for example one of the brands is yes Mm. who produce kind of oil or water-based lubricants so sometimes they can work quite nicely in conjunction with local estrogen. Yes. So, for example, if intercourse is an issue, which again, not all women are very forthcoming in wanting to discuss, yeah. but as part of the routine assessment process, I will always ask about um, sexual mm. um, issues or how intercourse is for a lady. And, you know, if a lady says, oh, well, we're not doing it for X, Y, Z, or it's uncomfortable, or it's painful then obviously I will sort of talk about what strategies we can do to help that. I don't think it's fair just to expect to get to a certain age and then not be in a fulfilling sexual relationship yeah. because you can't because of pain or discomfort. So those are things that we can definitely yeah, help with. and it often does go hand in hand, doesn't it? And um, it's amazing the number of people I see who have just stopped having sex. And sometimes it's because of reduced libido or just the way they feel because of the menopause. But often women tell me because it's so painful. Mm. And a lady told me a couple of years ago now that having uh, sexual intercourse with her husband was like having a red hot poker shoved inside her. And I said did you not do anything or she said no I was he was so desperate for sex I knew it would be over soon but that's not a way to live is it no and and again because of 
a little bit of taboo around talking mm. about these kind of topics. I think women will either just put up, put with up it. and shut up. Yeah, really. exactly. Yes. I mean, I see it with newly postpartum, you know, postnatal ladies as well having difficulties. You know, they want to just appear like they're managing okay, yes. but. Yeah, I think if you've got sexual difficulties, don't just suffer in silence, get no. you know, get some help. Yeah, totally. I mean, I um, talked at length with Diane Porterfield on another podcast and also Jane Lewis, who you know, who wrote the amazing book, My Menopausal Vagina, about different treatments. And like you say, yes is a really good... Um, they do a, a lubricant as well as moisturiser. Also, we have silk and regel here in the clinic, but there are some of the sort of scented products that are heavily promoted and marketed in uh, some chemists and online, but they can often cause a lot of smarting and irritation. And I think, yeah, some of these vaginal sort of douches or washes yes. that are sometimes advertised are just... I'm a little bit cautious about those. And I just say to any of my patients, you know, read the bottles, check the ingredients, yeah. because, you know, it's a sensitive area and we want to be looking after it and I think because they're marketed so well we're all into this era of trying you know it's all sucked into nice products and nice packaging but I often say to patients we don't wash our mouths out with soap so why do we need to wash our vaginas out and this idea that that things have to smell a certain way or you know because of the natural area anatomy wise you know there is a distinct scent but we shouldn't necessarily be covering it over or it's how our bodies are it's it's natural it's you know that's the way it should be yeah and I think there are some people who get infections clearly that need to be treated but we see a lot of women who incorrectly think they've got thrush and they Mm. Mm self-medicate and because the pH changes with the low estrogen levels like you say odor can sometimes smell or secretions Mm -hmm. and some people actually I saw a lady yesterday in my clinic who when I asked if she had any vaginal dryness, she said, no, it's the other way. It's very, I've got a lot of secretions, mm. but actually she still had some dryness and reduced estrogen, but it's just the way that the body responds to that. Mm-hmm. So it can cause mm-hmm. mixed messages sometimes, yeah. can't it? So, yeah, I think certainly for me, um, when I was working as a GP, it's really busy and you've got 10 minute appointments and often people come in with something and then towards the end they'll say, oh, doctor, by the way, I've got a bit of a incontinence or some leakage or mm-hmm. I'm examining them for something else and see that they're all padded up and I'm saying, what are you doing? And yeah. so actually then it can be quite difficult to have the time, whereas to refer to someone like yourself who's a complete expert in pelvic floor physio who can take a really detailed history, often give people diaries don't you to fill mm-hmm, out mm-hmm. to examine like you say in a very sensitive expert way is really important so I think if women feel embarrassed firstly they shouldn't because we're not embarrassed about any of this mm-hmm. but also if they've been sort of fobbed off or dismissed as it's normal then they should really go back shouldn't they and ask definitely yeah, yeah definitely and as I say time and time again I hear if only I'd seen you sooner mm-hmm. I didn't realize you know that someone was around that could help me so I think you know if we can educate GPs or other healthcare professionals that we're here um, and you know we're very much advocates of promoting looking after the pelvic floor I mean it would be great to be able to serve every woman that walks the earth but and I think through social media and research and things I think it's becoming more prevalent and there's more knowledge coming to the forefront which is brilliant but I think there's still more that 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 we can still do to help women so it's a real honour and privilege having you working here in the clinic, seeing um, some of our patients. So thank you. So just before we end, it would be really useful if you don't mind just giving us three take-home tips, what women could do or think about to have listened to the podcast. Yeah, I think the first probably is 
don't suffer in silence. If you have any concerns whatsoever, get to your GP, get a referral to see um, a pelvic floor physiotherapist. So preventing problems from occurring is much better than reacting to them once they occur. And don't be embarrassed to talk about bladder, bowel or sexual issues. They're a normal part of life and we need to just sort of get over the taboo and just talk about them and, and get help. Absolutely. Um, improve our quality of life for, yeah. for these patients. And I think that last one is totally pertinent. You know, there's a, there's a menopause taboo, but there's even more of a taboo with urinary symptoms. And you've certainly written a lovely article on the website, which you can easily find on, on my website, about urinary symptoms and pelvic floor. And I think the more it's talked about, the more it's normalised, and the more, mm-hmm. hopefully, women can get help. So thank you ever so much for coming to talk today. That's thank all right. You. Thank you. <laughs> For more information about the menopause, please visit our website www.menopausedoctor.co.uk.